0: Today's uh, reading is from Daniel, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, and uh, uh, verses 19 uh, to 37. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they they might uh, make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before before me, he who has named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And I told him the dream, saying, O oh, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, Because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dreams that I saw and their their interpretation. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant in which was food for all under which which, uh, beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the... Dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. Uh, this is the interpretation, of, uh, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you, you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives, gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the root of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you for, from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your inequities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble.
1: is the true story of beauty and the beast. Don't worry, there are no singing, um, singing furnishings in this story. It's no fairy tale. It's the true story of beauty and the beast. It's the story of pride, arrogance, beastly transformation, and redemption by gazing upon true beauty. It's no fairy tale. It's Nebuchadnezzar's story, but friends, it's also your story and it's my story. It's the story of beauty and the beast. Now, by this point in the book of Daniel, you might be forgiven by thinking that Nebuchadnezzar would be a changed man. You might remember that at the end of chapter 2, after Daniel revealed to him the interpretation of his first disturbing dream, the king fell on his face before Daniel and this is what he said in Daniel chapter 2 verse 47. Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Now, you think at that point, seeing that expression, hearing that confession of faith, you you might believe, well, Nebuchadnezzar clearly is a changed man. I mean, he walked the aisle, he prayed the sinner's prayer, he said all the right words there. However, in the words of one commentator, Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a true conversion at that point. It was simply a spiritual diversion. It wasn't a true conversion. It was a spiritual diversion. Now, why would we say that? We'd say that because when we look at Nebuchadnezzar, he clearly has not changed. It, last week in chapter 3, many years after the events of chapter 2, we see Nebuchadnezzar has returned to his old, his old ways It was merely a spiritual diversion that he had between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And he's returned to his old idol worship. And last week, in fact, we saw he returned to idol worship with a vengeance. He built a 90-foot statue of gold to himself. So maybe Nebuchadnezzar finally learned his lesson at the end of chapter 3. Because remember, chapter 3, which we looked at last week, ended with Nebuchadnezzar declaring, these words in in chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. I therefore make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. That is a great testimony. He was truly a changed man then, right? 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 No. No, he wasn't. Based upon what Ancoutia just read for us, he clearly was not a changed man. It seems unlikely that what happened in chapter 2 or chapter 3 were true conversions. These were merely spiritual diversions. Friends, there are many Nebuchadnezzars in the world still today. There might even be some Nebuchadnezzars in this room or watching us online. It's not enough to at one time have been awed by God. It's not enough to at one time have had an experience or prayed a prayer or shed a tear or uttered some words. The question is, has your direction changed? Are you being changed by Him? Was it a true conversion or has God merely just been a spiritual diversion in your life? Now understand, I'm not talking about perfection here because none of us is perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about direction. None of us will be perfect in this life, but the question is, are you heading a new direction? Or are you simply heading the same direction you've always been? Puritan author John Owen used the illustration of a man who's who's on a journey when a great storm comes. And what does he do? He temporarily pauses and he shelters from the storm. But in the end, that's only a temporary diversion because once the storm is passed, what does he do? He gets back on the road, and he continues on the exact same journey that he was already on. And Owen explains this idea of spiritual diversion. He asks the question, but is their course stopped? Are their principles altered? Not at all. As soon as the storm is over, they begin to wear out that sense of terror that was upon them. They return to their former course in the service of sin again. Again, it was just temporary. It was a temporary diversion. And then they returned to the same direction they were always heading. A true conversion means a new direction. Nebuchadnezzar, there's no change of direction. He may have temporary diversions, spiritual diversions, but he returns to the old path and he continues in his former ways. Friends, how about you? How about you? There are too many who have been at one time awed by Christ. But are you being changed by Christ? Is Christ just a temporary diversion from your sin? Or now, because you've been changed, your sin is a diversion from your pursuit of Christ? Do you see the difference? Christ is a diversion from your pursuit of sin. Or has your sin become the diversion from your pursuit of Christ? Has your direction changed? It's not about perfection. It's about direction. And up to this point, Nebuchadnezzar clearly has not changed direction. He's ultimately heading the same way that he always has. How about you? How about you? Now the events that Ancruza read for us recorded in chapter 4 were probably about 30 years after the events of the fiery furnace. So Daniel and his friends are no longer teenagers. They're probably now in their late 40s or early 50s. So still very young. Because 40s are the new 30, right? So I tell myself. Chapter 4 finds Nebuchadnezzar is still heading the same direction that he always has, pridefully towards himself. So in this chapter, God gives Nebuchadnezzar a monstrous gift of grace. Nebuchadnezzar must become a beast until he sees the true beauty of God. Now, chapter 4 is in many ways unique when we come to the, the text of the Scripture because this chapter contains the text of a confession written by Nebuchadnezzar himself. Because basically, Nebuchadnezzar has disappeared from the public eye for a period of time and having suddenly reappeared, he needs to explain his unusual absence. So this really is Nebuchadnezzar's PR statement. But, friends, it's so much more than a PR statement because what this is is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. It's his testimony. Friends, there's a difference between a biography and a testimony, and the difference is who gets the credit. There are lots of people that write biographies, and in their biographies, the credit and the glory largely goes to themselves. Their wisdom, their discipline, their determination. They're declared the beautiful and glorious ones, but a testimony, while it might contain a lot of the same information as a biography, the one who gets the glory and the credit is God. And what we have here in chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. This isn't merely a biography. This is a testimony of what God has done. And Nebuchadnezzar opens and closes his testimony with a summary statement. We see in chapter 4, verse 3, how great are the signs of the Most High God, how mighty His wonders, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. And he actually repeats that again at the end in verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar's testimony is about the beauty of, of the Most High God. That, that title, the Most High God, is used six times throughout this testimony. Nebuchadnezzar has realized something. He's not the Most High. God is the Most High. He's not the beauty. God is the beauty. Nebuchadnezzar has come to see and acknowledge the beauty and the glory of the Lord. And that has saved him from the beast that he had become. Now, Nebuchadnezzar sets the stage in chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. And friends, that is the most dangerous place for any of us to be. Successful and at ease. And friends, when Nebuchadnezzar says that he was successful, he was not just successful. He was very successful. In verse 30, it says, we hear him declare, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? You know, you might have heard some people say, well, it's not bragging if it's true. Friends, this is true. I mean, remember that at that time, countries didn't have hard and fast political boundaries like they do today. Basically, if your army was powerful enough to defeat the neighboring army, you took control of their land, enslaved their people, and you plundered their wealth. And Nebuchadnezzar was really good at it, he controlled the largest kingdom in the world. Nebuchadnezzar lived in wealth, luxury, walking among the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which he had constructed for his wife. Hey guys, what are you getting your wife for your anniversary? According to the historian Herodias, the walls that Nebuchadnezzar built around Babylon were 85 feet wide and 335 feet tall. The top of the wall had a road so wide that a four-horse chariot could turn around on that road. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was so wealthy, it was called the Golden Kingdom because he made gold so common in that kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar was very successful. And friends, that put him in a dangerous place. Because 600 years after Nebuchadnezzar, Jesus of Nazareth would come along and he taught in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What is it profit a man to gain the whole world And forfeit his soul. Nebuchadnezzar was successful. He had literally gained the whole world. But what had he really gained? Pastor Francis Chan rightly said, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things that don't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of being successful in things that don't really matter. Nebuchadnezzar had been successful in all kinds of things that appeared beautiful and the world thought were amazing, but ultimately did not matter. And those things were getting in the way of Nebuchadnezzar seeing and receiving the true beauty that he needed. Because friends, success in things that do not matter can prevent us from seeing and receiving that which does matter. And so sometimes the greatest grace that God can give us is to strip away our successes. Sometimes the greatest grace that He can give us is to humble us. Because only then are we able to see and receive the beauty that we actually need. And that's what we see the Lord do for Nebuchadnezzar. Friends, this isn't the Lord being cruel to Nebuchadnezzar. This is the Lord being gracious to Nebuchadnezzar. And we find that, like in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has another bad dream. So what does he do? He again calls his so-called wise men, and they again can't interpret the dream for him. Now, considering their rather poor track record on dream interpretation, you might ask why he called the wise men again And why he didn't just call Daniel immediately. And friends, I think it's because sometimes it's not that we don't know the truth. It's that we can't handle the truth. Because every time Daniel and his friends end up center stage, Nebuchadnezzar ultimately is reminded of his place in this world and in the universe. Every encounter with Daniel and his friends ends with Nebuchadnezzar being reminded that there is a God and it's not him. So Nebuchadnezzar, I think he's avoiding the truth. And we're just as guilty of doing the same thing, aren't we? We avoid, we suppress unwanted and undesirable truths. But friends, truth ultimately is unavoidable. We can deny the truth or we can lie about the truth. We can suppress the truth or we can dress up the truth. We can rename the truth. We can disdain the truth. But truth cannot be forever avoided. Eventually, it has to be faced. And Nebuchadnezzar must face the truth. And not only must he face the truth, Nebuchadnezzar knows he's got to face God. Note that three times in this passage, in verse 8, 9, and 18, Nebuchadnezzar says of Daniel, in Daniel is the spirit of the holy gods. In Daniel is the spirit of the holy gods. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't immediately call Daniel because he's avoiding not only the truth, he's avoiding God. Although he has been repeatedly awed by the Most High God, Nebuchadnezzar knows he has also repeatedly walked away from this Most High God. There's been no true conversion, just spiritual diversions. And friends, the interpretation of the dream, I mean, it's so obvious. I mean, Who else is the great tree going to be? What else can the felling of the tree mean? Nebuchadnezzar is avoiding the truth because he can't handle the truth. He's avoiding the God who he knows can and will bring him down. Friends, understand that the truth may be hard to hear. But this dream with its dire truth and the speaking of impending judgment, it's actually all an act of God's grace. Friends, speaking the truth about things is an act of grace. God's warning Nebuchadnezzar. He's warning him, repent. Repent and acknowledge the Most High God, that His kingdom's an everlasting kingdom, that His dominion endures from generation to generation. This is one more chance. One more chance, Nebuchadnezzar, to see and receive the beauty of the Lord. Because the truth is, Nebuchadnezzar, if you continue on the path that you've been walking since the beginning... Judgment is coming. The truth, friends, it might be hard to hear, but the truth is spoken to Nebuchadnezzar as an act of grace. Because now hearing the truth, Nebuchadnezzar has an opportunity to respond to that truth and to repent. Friends, if you don't know that something's wrong, you will not change. And today, As then, the truth is often hard for people to hear. People want to avoid hearing it. Many claim, I just can't handle the truth. But friends, graciously speaking hard truth is itself an act of grace. If people do not hear that something is wrong, if people do not hear that judgment is coming, they will never repent. They'll never change direction. And ultimately, friends, they will face the consequences. Church, the truth is hard. And speaking the truth is unpopular, and hearing the truth is unwelcome. But if we never speak the truth, the world will never repent and receive God's grace, which they so desperately, desperately need. So speaking the truth itself is an act of grace. This dream and its interpretation, they're a clear warning of a coming judgment on Nebuchadnezzar and another gracious opportunity for Nebuchadnezzar to change direction, to repent. And friends, notice how patient God is. Isn't it amazing how patient God is with Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, how many times already has God warned Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, in spectacular fashion with dreams and fiery furnaces. Another dream. He's warned him. And yet again, another dream here. A warning. And he gives them a whole additional year to repent. God is patient. He's patient with Nebuchadnezzar. And friends, the good news is that he's patient with you. And with me as well. But friends, the danger. The danger in God's patience is that it can kind of lull us into a false sense of security. I still got time. You know, I should get around to, to that and to, to dealing with God. Or, or maybe maybe we get lulled in that false sense of security where we think God will not act and judgment will never come. Friends, do not mistake God's patience for forgetfulness or for a failure to follow through. You know, some in the early church were, were struggling with this as far as Jesus returns. Everything's going on the way that it always has. What do you mean Jesus is going to return? If He, if he was, wouldn't He have done it already? And so the Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise to return, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, the good news is that the Lord was patient towards Nebuchadnezzar, giving him time and opportunity to repent. And friends, the Lord is patient with you today, desiring that you repent. But do not mistake the Lord's patience for forgetfulness or for a failure to act. Because judgment is coming. The Lord has warned of a day when Christ will return, when all will be revealed, and every one of us will face judgment. And friends, the only thing that holds Jesus back from coming back right now is his patience that more might repent and turn to him before he returns. However, Christ cannot and He will not delay forever. The clock will eventually run out and Christ will return and judgment will come. So if you hear my voice today and you have not repented and trusted in Christ, don't delay. Now is the day. The truth is hard. It's unwelcome. But God is graciously warning you of impending judgment so that you today, right now, can repent. And more than that, God has provided a way that your sin might be taken care of. That it might be forgiven. Paid for in full. That you might receive a new life all through His Son, Jesus Christ. God is gracious. He is patient. But the truth is, judgment is coming. And friends, what stops you from responding and repenting and clinging to his son. And finding that salvation today. Nebuchadnezzar, he was lulled into a false sense of security because of God's patience for him. Here he is one year after receiving the warning. And as he repented? No. He still doesn't acknowledge the beauty of God, but he's here. We find him glorying in his own beauty and majesty, and as a result, Nebuchadnezzar becomes a beast. Now, many explanations have been offered over time for Nebuchadnezzar's condition: Uh, lycanthropy, the supernatural transformation of a person into a wolf, as you know, told in folk tales; boanthropy, the Psychological disorder in which the sufferer believes he or she or is a cow or ox. These are real things. But friends, those kind of explanations really miss the point. This passage is not about mental illness. This passage is about divine discipline. I mean, whatever happened to Nebuchadnezzar was a divine discipline from the Lord. Proverbs 16:18 teaches, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so in his pride, Nebuchadnezzar has now fallen. His pride exalted him, so God has humbled him. Nebuchadnezzar refused to see and acknowledge any beauty but his own. In his pride, he refused to acknowledge the glory and power of the Lord. And what happened? He became beastly. It's interesting because Psalm 49, verse 20 says, Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. And friends, that parable is literally acted out here. Nebuchadnezzar was pompous and proud and so God has humbled him like a beast. And the exact nature of Nebuchadnezzar's discipline ultimately and what that looks like is not important. The point is it was humiliated. He was brought from high down low. Now, verses 23 and 20 and 32 say that Nebuchadnezzar's discipline would last till seven periods of time pass over him. That could be seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years. Or it could be the symbolic use of the number. Because the number seven is highly symbolic in the Scriptures. It it signifies completeness and fullness. And it seems to me most likely that for Nebuchadnezzar, um, that, that that's what it was doing here. Because for Nebuchadnezzar, the being a beast was not merely for a set period of time, but verse 32 says he was going to be a beast until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So his discipline wouldn't be full and complete until the full and complete amount of time it took for him to recognize the beauty and the sovereignty of God. So God fully brought him where he needed to go. And it was fully To the point of his confession of the beauty and majesty of God. Because notice that Nebuchadnezzar's discipline ended when? Verses 34 and 35. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me and I blessed the Lord Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Friends, Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes to the one who was above him. This is a posture of humility and maybe for the first time ever in Nebuchadnezzar's life he's lifting his eyes to see and confess the beauty of another acknowledging the beauty and the glory of the Lord most high transforms him from being a beast and it reminds me of what James chapter 4 verse 10 says and what we sang this morning humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Nebuchadnezzar is truly humbled now before the Lord, and so what happens? The Lord lifts him up. And it says, in fact, He restored to him His kingdom, and then some. And we should note, this is incredible, the very final words that we ever hear from King Nebuchadnezzar in the whole of Scripture are in verse 37. These are his last words to us. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So friends, was this it? Was this finally the true conversion? Or was this just another in a long line of spiritual diversions? The truth is we don't know. We don't know. And the truth is, that's not the most important question for you and I to be asking today. We don't need to waste our time worrying about Nebuchadnezzar's salvation, but we should worry about ours. Friends, how about you? Have you merely been awed by Christ, but not transformed by him? Is your current interest in Christ just another spiritual diversion from your old life, or a true conversion to new life and new direction in Jesus Christ? In what ways in your own life right now are you denying or avoiding the truth? What is the truth that you need to receive and to which you need to respond today? Friends, are your eyes more often looking down pridefully on God and on others? Or humbly, like Nebuchadnezzar, lifting your eyes to God and submitting to Him? How are you, like Nebuchadnezzar, glorying in your own beauty and your understanding and your wisdom and your power? and not in his friends are you here as the beautiful one or are you here as one who humbly admits yourself to be a beast who's been transformed by the beauty of Jesus Christ James chapter 4 verse 6 says but God gives more grace therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble friends it was a long road But it does appear that Nebuchadnezzar might have finally received God's grace. Have you? Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we lift our eyes. Even as we sang earlier today, O Spirit, come make us humble. You had to humble Nebuchadnezzar in some pretty extreme ways. And, Father, I pray that we bow our knee before you and our heart before you before we reach that point. Rather, give us a vision of you, humility before you, and transform our hearts that we might follow and love you and confess that you alone are the Most High God belongs all glory and honor and praise now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, Amen.